Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. We have so many guests on this show making a difference in our lives, making a difference all around the world with the expertise that they bring. And yet so many of you are reaching out to me saying, you want more. It's not enough just what we're putting on these podcast episodes for you. And so I am here to extend a very warm welcome to you to our Difference Maker community where you can join for as little as $5 a month to get all this extra content. Out the gate, you're going to get 30 plus minisodes of exclusive content not available for the regular podcast listeners and an exclusive mini-sode every month. And you'll get exclusive voting power to help us pick podcast topics and more. And that's with our changers tier. There's three different main tiers and then an extra uh, larger tier. But whatever tier that you join at, you will be included in this extra content And I know that many of you are wanting to go a little bit deeper. And so even though it gets a little wild in there sometimes because of how deep we go, I want you to join us there. This extra content is very special. It means a great deal to me to be a part of this community with you. And I would love to just exchange uh, ideas or perspectives that you have around these different episodes. And that's the place where we do it. So please show up to our Difference Maker community. Give us $5 out of your pocket every month. And I think that you'll have a lot of fun in there because we do. And I would love for you to join us. So go to patreon.com slash a world of difference to join us there. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm Lori Adams-Brown, and this is a podcast for those who are different and want to make a difference. Welcome back, everyone, to our story about what we went through at Echo Church. I just want to also issue another trigger warning. This episode in particular can be quite triggering for anyone who has experienced any type of abuse, particularly any kind of psychological or emotional or verbal abuse, and of course, spiritual abuse as as well. So if you are somebody who's had that type of experience in a church or a faith-based environment of any kind, um, or any situation at all, I would just um, recommend if you take care of yourself and listen to it in chunks. If you do want to listen to it, um, there's just no right or wrong way to do this, but we just wanted to issue that warning for anybody who's listening at this point. This particular episode it has some pretty heavy stuff in it. And so um, we do just thank you for those of you who've been listening, who've reached out to us, many of you who have been involved in Echo Church dur- during the many years in the past, some of you who are currently involved in Echo Church and Um, We just thank you for listening to our story, for those of you who have reached out and to let you know that you believe us and you empathize with us, but especially we want to just say to those of you who did experience things like this and you shared your stories with us privately, we just hold space for you in this time. 
And we're so honored that you have shared with us. And we know it's not easy to speak out. And so we do speak out on behalf of so many of you who can't for a variety of reasons, who can't because of NDAs that you've signed, which includes many of you listening, um, who basically, for a lot of legitimate reasons, have fears of your reputation, of your job, of your career prospects going forward in ministry and other ways. Many of you who run businesses in the Bay Area and wouldn't want to do anything to jeopardize your business or just the relationships that you have, or many of you who are still at Echo Church and and don't want to risk losing any friends in a situation where so many of us who've had, um, you know, been run off from the staff or who've been fired have been shunned as well. And so it can be really scary for any of you. And we, we recognize how legitimate those fears are, and we just want to validate those for you. And we know that these are not easy issues that you're dealing with. And so that's part of the reason we started sharing our story is because we can. We didn't sign the NDA, but also we've walked through a lot of therapy and healing ourselves. And so um, we're going to include an episode for just our Patreon supporters after we record this, where we will talk about how we have walked through healing about these particular things that we talk through. So I'm going to share several things that have helped me, including how I've built a team around me over the last year and a half to just people to help me heal. And so um, if you're interested in that and that would be helpful to you, um, we're going to provide that exclusive video or audio (laughs) to our uh, Patreon supporters. And thank you to those of you who have supported us in Patreon. It means a lot to us to help us offset the cost of this podcast. So yeah, we're here today picking up where we left off at the end of our second episode related to our story. I've had to do a lot of my DBT therapy today just to get ready for this part because it's not an easy part to share. I've shared it with, um, you know, multiple people in the last couple of years since it happened, but um, every time it's a little bit hard to share because it's not easy to go through. So, um, but I've done my work today and I've prepared for it, um, but I just want to ask for grace because it's not an easy thing to talk about. So once again, thanks for listening. Um, And then Jason will share some of the things that kind of happened with him after my most difficult meeting. Just to recap a little bit. Where we picked, left off last time, I started off with how the meeting where I was ambushed into Pastor Andy's office with Andy and Felipe flanking me on both sides and starting to interrogate me in a meeting that I was told would be on Zoom and would also just be with Felipe, my first time of meeting with him um, about my new role, my 2021 role. And so I'm sitting there. And it's, it's just a very odd, weird moment, but also uh, a lot of fear, a lot of power by fear that built up to it. Because if you'll recall, I had been <clears throat> the object of Andy's contempt um, in a way that felt almost like an OCD version of contempt for quite a few months at this point, and had been told by Felipe that I was that person at the moment, which had been, you know, many people over the years, and I just happened to be that person of interest at the moment. And so I'm sitting in the office of the man I was supposed to be protected from being around with the person who told me they would protect me from being around him. And so <clears throat> sitting there, if you'll recall, this, the meeting started off with me and my notebook in my lap, sitting on a couch with basically these two men flanking me on both sides and a very power by fear type move. <clears throat> 
and it was just me by myself um, thinking I'm going to hear about my 2021 role. And the first question that I was asked was, why are you so frustrated? Which I was not frustrated. I was sitting there waiting to hear about my 2021 role and very curious and very um, scared, I would say, at the same time, just because I didn't know how Pastor Andy was going to treat me in that meeting. My previous interactions with Felipe all up until this point had been positive with some just strange little red flags, Um, but he was the one asking kind of a lot of the questions in the beginning, which included, why are you so frustrated? And then, uh, as you recall, I responded, I'm not frustrated. And they said, why are you frustrated about women? And I, I didn't understand because I wasn't frustrated about women. And then they said, what is the wound that makes you want to talk about women? And I said, I didn't have one. And I had recalled Pastor Felipe saying many times about different women that they were wounded and telling me specifically what their wounds were. And at that point, it was such a red flag because I remember thinking, I'm not wounded about women. And I can't think of any wound that I would even mention related to that at this point. But even if I did, this does not feel like a therapy session. This feels scary. This feels like an interrogation. I'm not sure what this is, but it doesn't feel like a safe environment to share that because these men hadn't been really very pastoral with me in the past. So it didn't seem like a pastoral care moment. And so, but I also knew if I had a wound and I shared it, they would probably tell other people about my wound. And that would be a way of saying, what they had said about other women to me in the past. She's wounded. She's wounded by blank. And that's why she doesn't know how to talk to men in a way that men will listen. And so um, I felt, you know, honestly, I could say I don't have a wound about women. But then at the same time, I thought if I did, I definitely wouldn't share it right now in my head. So after being asked the first time, what is the wound that makes you want to talk about women? I was asked the same question again what is the wound that makes you want to talk about women? And I said, I don't have a wound that makes you want to talk about women. And then they at, Felipe asked it like a third time. It was like, what's the wound that makes you want to talk about women? And that just was really scary to be asked the same question so many times. Um, I think that internally it felt like it wasn't emotionally safe or even that I was being heard. So I'm speaking about myself And it seems unacceptable what my answers are about myself, which is kind of the tone of how the meeting went. So that definitely set the tone and it increased along the way. That emotional abuse where you're not allowed to speak for yourself. It's as if they knew me better than I knew myself. And that was just a really scary feeling and also more than feeling misunderstood uh, because of the power dynamics of how that felt at the time. And so I think my response at the end of those three was, I I just am a woman. I, I almost didn't even really know what to say at that point. And the next question was, did you tell Pastor Lucille to speak up more? And just a little background, Pastor Lucille was the first campus pastor um, or, or woman with a pastor title, I think, that they had given. It was a huge deal. It happened a few months before I came on staff. They made a very big deal out of where we have a woman campus pastor. She's our first woman pastor. And so I had known her because she had, um, I had met her before coming on staff. And so when I came on staff, she immediately was in my office quite a bit wanting to meet with me and talk about the fact that we're the only two women 
pastors on the staff and um, just, you know, things that she had experienced and how it was difficult. And when you're the first woman sort of shattering that stained glass ceiling, so to speak, that you're sort of getting cut by that. And the second woman pastor is probably going to get a little bit of shards of glass as she walks through too. And so just those types of things. And it was almost always her initiative and we had a pretty good relationship as far as I could tell, but she often initiated meetings with me. Like we should talk and we should talk about how to, you know, do this thing and help it be better for women. But often I would end up saying, um, well, maybe you should bring this up with them. Um, but it became clear that she would say, well, they just don't listen or, and I just didn't have that experience with them yet because I didn't have meetings with them one-on-one. She was a campus pastor at the Fremont campus and I was just associate campus pastor at the Sunnyvale campus. So they weren't my direct bosses, but she would meet with them pretty regularly and, and then tell me these things about how hard it was. And so my conclusion was often, well, maybe you should bring this up with them. And she would say things like, well, they don't listen. And I tried, I don't know how, I don't think I really, I definitely don't, didn't understand why that was because I wasn't ever meeting with them one-on-one. So I didn't understand why they didn't listen or that that was happening for me. I didn't have that experience. So when they bring up in the meeting, did you tell Pastor Lucille to speak up more? I was asked it in such a way that it felt like a horrible thing that I had done. So I can tell you the words, but the power dynamics in the room and the way the um, the body language was and the way it was said was very much like that was a really bad thing that I had done. And so that was scary because I couldn't imagine why it would be bad to ask that. So my response to the question, did you tell Pastor Lucille to speak up more was, well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure I did because wait, don't we want her to speak up more? She's the first woman pastor that you hired. So it was just very confusing that you would hire a pastor and not want them to speak. They just didn't understand it. And so I said, well, yeah, I'm sure I did. And so their response was, well, you made her feel very uncomfortable and very pushed, which was really the first moment that I just was feeling very gaslit. And if you understand gaslighting, it's you're perceiving the world in a realistic way and you're being told something that is very different to make you feel crazy. And so if someone said the sky is green and you're like, it's blue, And they're like, no, it's green. It's like you feel crazy. Like what is wrong with me? And that was that very clearly a moment like that for me because I had never perceived making her feel pushed or uncomfortable. If anything, she was always reaching out to me to meet with me. And so the gaslighting for me processed in my own mind, wow, I must be really unaware of how I've come across to her as a person. Like I've never in my whole life, you know, um, over 45 years of life, had anybody that I've misread to that degree, that's wow. So I started to feel really bad about myself. Um, And so I, you know, later, fast forward, I'll come back to this meeting in a second, but I later, and Julie Royce covered this in her article, um, I sent Lucille a text because I felt so bad. She was my friend, but is also a colleague. And so I texted her because I felt like if I called her, she would feel pushed if this is true and she'd feel pushed to say something. So I didn't want to have a phone call. And I just texted her with this apology and said, I'm very sorry. It's come to my attention that I've made you feel pushed. I'm so, so sorry. I never wanted to make you feel that way. Would you please forgive me? And 
I really would appreciate any way you could let me know if I do that in the future. I never want to make you feel that way again. And as like, I just finished typing it and sent it. And I don't even know if she had fully amount of time to read it, but she called me like right away and said, what are you talking about? And so I told her, I'm so sorry. And she said, wait, were you told to apologize to me? Did somebody make you apologize to me? Which was kind of, I don't know, the fact that she asked that question made me think, wait, is that the kind of thing that goes on? Because she's been on staff way longer than me. And I just said, no, no one forced me to apologize to you. I'm doing this on my own. And um, and she was like, well, how did you know? What, who told you that I pushed you? And so I told her, and then she she said, oh, did those boys like rapid fire question you? And then I began to realize, wait, they that's a thing that happens. I thought it was just me. I thought it was just a horrible person. And it turns out at least one other person had experienced that. And so I, I really began to think, what in the world was that meeting? So back to the meeting. Um, the next question they asked me was, why are you so frustrated about COVID? And I remember thinking, this is December 2020. If you remember where you were and what life was like, wherever you live in the world in December 2020, I I think it's safe to say most of us were frustrated about COVID, but the way it was asked to me, it was as something was really badly wrong with me for being frustrated about COVID because this is a meeting a couple of days before Christmas, the busiest time of year, and they've brought me in to ask why I'm frustrated about women and why I'm frustrated about COVID. And these seem like such big questions that was so important to ask me because it was so horrible that they had to both the lead and executive pastor have me in the office for this very important meeting when they're very hard to get meetings with. I mean, people all the time were trying to get pastoral meetings with the two of them, especially Andy. And he was very largely unavailable to most people and very busy and always, you know, flying to Dallas or San Diego or somewhere. And so for me to even have a meeting with him was like, you know, this had never happened, a meeting with him and Felipe, just the three of us. So it felt like a huge deal. And so and my answer about the COVID thing was, well, aren't we all frustrated about COVID? I mean, I just didn't even really know how to answer it. And the response was, well, Pastor Tim said that you said that you were frustrated about COVID. And this is when a light bulb went on for me because I had been very careful, very careful in my a year plus of working there of making sure I did not violate their very strong policy, which was often reiterated, you will get fired for gossiping which I didn't think was a good role because the punishment didn't meet the, meet the crime. Um, but also I knew that the way they defined gossip, I had heard them say things about it and it seemed like a much broader definition of gossip. So um, yeah, anyway, you can look up the definition of gossip for yourself. But, um, but for me, I felt like it was way broader to interpret. So I felt if I didn't want to be fired, I needed to be super careful, way beyond what is normal range of gossip. So sometimes people would want to have lunch with me, other associate campus pastors or other people. And sometimes I would be afraid to do so, which would be normal colleague relationships to help do your job well. And I would say no, because I was afraid somehow it might be perceived as gossip and I would get fired. Um, and in Silicon Valley, we both needed to work to make life happened. This is the most expensive place to live in the United States. So we both needed our job. My job was not just for restaurants. It was for our lives. <laughs> so uh, to say that Pastor Tim said something and Lucille said something, suddenly I realized, wait, that rule does not apply to them. 
because I've been so careful not to talk to other people about things. And apparently that is not something they abide by their own rule they made. And that began to be very scary for me at that moment. Like, what am I dealing with? Basically, at this point, I start to feel so unsafe. And there's a lot of things that God did for me in that moment. But one of the things that just God clearly did for me was to say, they're going to crucify you in this meeting. And I just felt it very clearly, the Holy Spirit sharing it with me. And it's a very special part of the way that I've been able to heal from this moment is that I really felt God with me in a special way, even though I end up starting to have an out-of-body experience to dissociate from the trauma. Um, But my experience of going back and asking God, were you with me? I know that he was, and that's not anything I've ever doubted, which is a very special thing that God gave me. And I'm so sorry that a lot of people haven't had that exact experience. Um, And not all of my traumatic (laughs) meetings were that way, but this particular one was. And so when God said very clearly to me, they're going to crucify you in this meeting, just be like the lamb before the slaughter who was silent. And so not at all that I would ever say that I identify with anything Jesus went through. And that's not at all what it meant to me in that moment. But what it meant to me was when religious leaders are asking you questions and they're emotionally abusing you and spiritually abusing you and they're not listening to your answers and it doesn't matter. Um, the best thing to do is just give short answers. And so that was what I felt like God saying was just give short answers. Um, so which is what I did from that point on. And, um, Basically, at that point, I was asked um, a lot of rapid-fire questions to the point where it was confusing and it was um, a bit, felt like a bit of an onslaught, and I didn't even really know what the point was. I still like was had my notebook in my lap thinking we were going to talk about my 2021 roles. It was very confusing. Um, the next questions were things like, Andy said, you hate our strategy, don't you? So it wasn't worded in an open-ended way to where they were inviting my perspective. It was, this is what he believed, and therefore I needed to confirm that. But it wasn't the truth, so I wasn't going to lie. And I said, no, I don't hate your strategy. I just think there's many ways to plant a church. You know, I've worked in church planning for many years overseas. I've been to seminary. You know, my parents worked in church planning. And so I just have seen a lot of ways. This is one way. And he seemed really frustrated from most of the meeting when he would say something and I didn't agree with his answer about me, which was part of the emotional abuse that I don't know myself. Apparently he knows me better than I know myself. So at this point, like at some point in here, I really start to have what felt like an out-of-body experience where it's almost like if you've had anything like that and it's the only time it's ever happened to me before or since, um, So I felt almost like I couldn't stay in my body, like almost like my soul or my brain had to leave to be able to cope with what was happening to me and the trauma of these, um, this fear and this power by fear and this abuse of power and the spiritual abuse. And so, um, basically he asked more questions like, um, you basically want to preach and I didn't let you preach. So like you wanted to steal my pulpit basically was what he asked, which was completely far away from anything resembling the truth because anybody who's gone to Echo Church or watched it online or been on staff knows that um, whenever there's, you know, the person giving the sermon or whatever, before and after there's this thing called welcome and next steps. So my role on the campus as an associate campus pastor was to often be the one speaking, doing welcome and next steps. And the script we would get 
would often be something you had to memorize and know very well because you had to say it the way Echo would want you to say it. And it was really hard to do. And I remember my first training on that. It was um, really hard to quite to get it right. You had to say it and you had to say it with a smile and you had to say it with a certain kind. And it was just all these things that didn't feel natural or comfortable. It was like, whoever you are, you need to put it to the side and say things this way and smile this way and act this way. So I, I've, I've just never been anywhere where you couldn't be yourself when you spoke, having spoken in a lot of pulpits and a lot of churches in my work um, in ministry over the years and speaking in churches and um, raising support for our mission agency. I had spoken at conventions, the Nevada State Convention, the California State Convention, lots of women's missionary union groups and that type of thing. And so, but I'd never been anywhere where the way I spoke and the words that I said were so controlled and the way I smiled was so controlled. So I never once had a desire to preach at Echo. It was so far from anything I would have wanted because when I had another person on stage, I also had to make sure they were doing it that way as well. And it was just really hard to do welcome and next steps. And I, that, that just felt like enough by itself. So Andy saying I wanted to preach and I was upset about that was the opposite of the truth, but it wasn't received when I said, no, I don't want that. And I've never wanted that. Um, it, it was once again, he knows me more than I know me kind of feeling. And so he also, there were several things that were said. Um, at one point, Felipe looked at me and said, we see and hear everything, which was so creepy to be told. And I didn't even know at the time that I was being videoed without my consent. And they would show those videos. I would read in the news later, you know, this year in June, that they had shown videos of me to the Saddleback elders. I don't even know what these videos are. There's this apparent evidence that um, they're giving about me. So I didn't give consent to a lot of those videos they were showing. And then um, I also didn't know that there were just, you know, microphones listening to us. I, I didn't know any of that. So, but at the time, we see and hear everything was still a scary and very creepy thing to be told, especially by your two pastors when you're on their staff. It, it just was awful. I remember thinking, am I going to be sent to the gulag? I mean, what is this? Is this Russia? You know, um, just the power by fear was just palpable in the room at this point. So the rapid fire questions were were just along the lines of just discrediting my character. I remember thinking at one point, wow, they're trying to break me down and they're trying to build a case against me and they're trying to take me down. And I, I don't really know why, but the worst things they have on me are that they think I'm frustrated about women and that they think I'm frustrated about COVID. And so then it's a little bit, I just felt like, wow, I mean, I really haven't done anything <laughs> that bad, but they're acting like I've been the worst so bad that they have to do this meeting with me. And so the questions from there on out were, were related to um, that type of thing. Andy had to leave early. Um, there's part of that story that I just don't tell why he had to leave early, but it was a, a part that was a power by fear moment. I just have tried to stay, you know, away from super publicly talking about things related to his family. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was definitely uh, a scary thing to be told in terms of what, what would happen if you crossed him. And so he had to go ahead and leave after an hour of, and you know, rapid fire questions being peppered at me. Um, but as he got up, he said, what is it I've done to wound so many women in this church? And he just kind of angrily walked out and walked past me. 
But I remember sitting there not having a chance to answer the question, which was pretty much par for the course because any answer I gave, they were never satisfied with. It's as if they knew me and they had the answers and I was supposed to say the answers they wanted me to say. And when I didn't, it was very much frustrating Andy. Um, But I was staying calm and I wasn't getting upset or emotional or crying. I am not a crier and I'm not a typically emotional person. I'm a pretty rational, level-headed person, strong T on the Myers-Briggs. But I was told when I was hired that one of the reasons I was hired is because I don't cry easily. And um, Andy had had women around him that cried, and he doesn't like that kind of display of emotion. You're not really allowed to have those displays of emotion around him. He shows anger um, once in a while. You know, it happens not rarely. I mean, we saw him be angry here and there. Um, But that was the only emotion that was allowed was him to kind of display anger. Um, so I'd been told stories about women in the past, inc- including somebody we hired for a different role that would have been able to work for him had she not teared up in the interview. So he just was not, a, he couldn't be around other people's emotions. Um, so I wasn't displaying emotion in the, in the meeting, but he was definitely showing signs of anger. And, um, and as he walked out, like I said, didn't even listen to my answer. But I remember thinking, has he wounded so many women in this church? I didn't realize he'd wounded so many women in this church. Of course, now, you know, going close to two years later, I've heard a lot of stories in the aftermath of women that he had severely hurt in the church that have been in therapy for many years. So now I know he knew something I didn't know, which was that he really had. So I sat there with my notebook in my lap and looked at Felipe as Andy walked out. And I said, what I don't understand the point of this meeting because I was thinking also I was supposed to learn about my 2021 role and I didn't hear anything about it. I still don't know what I'm going to be doing or when I'll start. And um, I said, if this was to develop me as a leader, I don't think I understand what my takeaways are from this meeting. And is if you're struggling, the two of you, of how to help women leaders in your church, then could you at least point me to somebody I could learn from? I, I want to learn. I'm willing to learn. I just, you know, I need to know what what I don't know. And so it was just clearly not very well uh, presented if that was their goal. And he basically began to trash different women we know and love and respect in the Christian community, and I won't name their names. Um, but he, you know, mentioned one, for example, and said, she's like this and she doesn't know how to talk. So men will listen and here's her wounds. And here's why she can't talk. So men will listen because she's so wounded. He mentioned a couple different women like that. And I remember thinking, wow, he still didn't give me the name of anybody that I could learn from. So instead of developing me as a leader, or if I've done something wrong, then clearly write it out in a performance plan, which they never, ever did. It was just your garbage. And you're just supposed to feel shame. And that's that was the tone of that meeting, which is why it was a clearly abusive meeting. So I came home and I told my husband what happened. And I'm going to let him take over his part from here. I think just for a moment to kind of... Um just really quickly, I don't know that we've ever talked a whole lot on the podcast about kind of your background, my background. Um, she's like talking to the mic. Uh, she's much more the professional of this than I am. I'm just figuring it out. <laughs> um, she, uh, she, so you've lived a pretty pampered life, huh? Like you haven't been through any other difficult situations, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like this was probably, 
you know, maybe that you weren't used to like being in difficult situations and you're just not used to that. I, I just wonder if that's one of the things that <laughs> could have caused that to be really difficult for you. Would that? I'll let you answer that question. <laughs> I know. Uh, that would be typed out in sarcasm font. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Lori uh, grew up in Venezuela. Um, she did a lot of translating for uh, medical mission groups that were in very difficult situations. She saw all kinds of, of challenging stuff, even as a young kid growing up. Um, she even had one of her close friends that, um, that starved, um, so saw death at a young age. Um, and then even in our own work overseas, we worked in a place where there was a civil war. Um, a lot of things happened around that that were very challenging. Uh, and we also worked in a situation where it was one of the worst disasters of our lifetime in this tsunami. Um, and then we were on a very large, uh, we were on a leadership team over a very large number of people in um, Southeast Asia, close to 500 people when we're on that leadership team. Um, so yeah, I would say just to give you some context, we're not talking about someone who is not used to difficult situations or dealing with difficult leadership situations as well, which is probably part of the major confusion that was going on. Um, and one thing actually, as Lori was sharing her story this time, so she comes home and she tells me a bit of the story and I were going on a walk in our neighborhood and I find myself just becoming so angry and confused. Um, one of the things, you know, it's, it's funny when you're, we're, um, when you've been in a situation like this, and I've heard a lot of others in this community that have been through spiritual abuse, abuse of power, those types of things in a church setting, that things come back to you in pieces sometimes. And it's like you're trying to put them all together. And I had completely forgotten this until you were telling it this time, actually. I, I forgot that when you told the story, uh, when you told me, um, one of the most effective gaslighting things that affected you the most also affected me the most when you shared it. Cause I was getting so upset at many of the things that she said, but then she said, you know, they told me that, um, you know, Lucille was upset that I had pushed her to speak up more. And when she, at the, remember at this point, we didn't know that that was a lie that Lucille was like, no, you've never like, this is later on that we find out that she was like, you never you never pushed me. You never made me feel uncomfortable. If anybody did, those guys did because they pushed me to be a campus pastor. I didn't want to. But at the time, we didn't know any of that. So I'm still thinking in my mind, like, wow, does is is did Lori do that? Is there something I'm not seeing? Because again, you got to remember, part of the challenge is when you're very teachable and very open, you start to look at yourself and think, am I, I have blind spots? Am I missing stuff in this? And so that part in the back of my mind is like, wow, is there things about Lori that I'm just missing that are difficult? And I didn't say any of that to her, but at the same time, I'm furious about the other stuff in the back of my mind that was there. And I'd totally forgotten that that had happened. So I'm angry. Um, I can't remember if it was that day or the next day, but I basically was like, I really, I, you know, we're going to be, um, this is the week of the, you know, Christmas Eve service. And then we're going to have a whole week off. And then they're going to be on their retreats in the beginning of January. I'm not going to see them for several weeks. And so I was like, we, I really feel like I need to clear this up. This is, this is ridiculous. They're portraying my wife in a way that is not accurate. She's not a diva. 
She's not someone, and she is the exact opposite of what they were trying to paint her out to be. And so that was part of what was making me so angry. I was like, good grief. Um, kind of feeling that anger right now. So I text them, both of them, to Felipe and to Andy. And to their credit, they immediately responded and said, okay. And they set up a time. Um, I can't remember if it was the next day or a couple of days later. Um, they, I think it was like, it may have been like the next day. It doesn't matter. Um, but it was during an incredibly busy week. So they made the time to meet with me. Um, I was slammed that week too, because we're all, again, that's the week where we're all trying to get everything done so that everybody can take off the week after that. And you're getting ready for Christmas Eve service and all those types of things. So, um, in preparation for that meeting, I didn't have a lot of time, but I knew I needed to take some time to just kind of type out my notes or some thoughts that I wanted to say, um, so that I, because typically one of my responses in confrontation is sometimes freeze or forgetting what I'm wanting to say because I'm not a confrontational person. I've done that a lot in my life. Um, but typically, if it's done in a context where there's a lot of anger, you know, it's a little bit harder for me to, to think clearly and need to pull back like a lot of us are. And I'm not quite sure. I was very angry, so I wasn't quite sure how I was going to, how well I was going to be thinking in that meeting and also had no idea how they were going to respond. So I'd written out some notes of what I wanted to say um, and what I wanted to touch on. And so there's a lot of this meeting that I can't remember. There's parts of it I do. So I'm going to try to talk about some of the ones that I remember. Um, I When I first went into the meeting, it was uh, in Andy's office. Uh, Felipe was not there, but he was on Zoom because he was, if I remember correctly, he was dropping off one of his kids for a dental appointment. Um, and so he joined on on Zoom. Um, and I sat down and uh, I said, you know, look, I said, I think we started with prayer, actually. Um, I said, hey, can I pray before we jump into this? And then I, you know, at the end, I said, guys, I'm, I think I started off with saying, guys, I'm, I'm really... I'm really angry at what, how you've treated Lori or something along those lines. And as I started to share, and it's clear I'm upset, but it's also clear that whatever Lori's said to me, that she actually was affected, even though she was very calm in the meeting, that she was actually affected. Um, as soon as that's clear, uh, this really strange thing happened after that. And that's where um, it was like Andy was trying not to laugh. Um, he had taken his, he had a mask that was beside him and he wasn't on at the time, but he kept putting his hand over his mouth and it's clear. Like you can, I can tell like he's, he's trying not to laugh. He's covering up his smile as I'm telling this in a very upset way. And so, um, it actually went on so long that he eventually picks up his mask and puts it on because he can't stop himself. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, this is so bizarre, like, and I, I, in my mind, I'm trying to justify it. So I'm thinking, okay, he talks about being ADD and, and maybe even OCD. And so maybe something just triggered him in this that made him chuckle, which is kind of weird. Um, but now in reading material around narcissists, what I think was really happening in that moment, again, this is my interpretation, is that it was quite cathartic for him to finally realize he had gotten to Lori, that he could see from my emotion that he had gotten to her and... um that's that's what happens with a, a narcissist. But again, that's how the meeting starts. So I'm suddenly like, whoa, because I, again, when I made the meeting, I really was still in the framework of thinking, these are two guys I know. We're followers of Jesus. We're pastors. Like, it may be difficult. I've worked through all kinds of conflict overseas. Like, we can do this. Like, I've been in 
really difficult situations where all kinds of stuff's going on that that's um uh very challenging that's way more than just the conflict were happening but all the difficulties that happen in, in a difficult situation and so i'm like surely i can work through this with these guys um i've seen the good sides of andy and felipe um and this is how the meeting starts uh so i'm trying again i'm trying to gather myself and my thoughts after i see this happening and i think i if i remember correctly i started off with something on the lines of wow like um what I'm really upset about is that you're portraying Lori in a way that is not who she is. It's the exact opposite. She's not a diva. She is somebody who has a strong desire to serve others, to pastor them, to love them well. And anybody at the Sunnyvale campus that interacted with her would say the same thing. There's nobody that's worked closely with her that would say that. Um, and then I tried to give some examples. I said, you know, one of the things that you've shared, and we haven't shared this part of the story. I can't, uh, I don't know if you brought it up in that meeting with Lori, but I said, you know, one of the things that Andy had confronted Lori about was um, a couple of months after we first came on uh, staff, uh, Lori, on a Sunday, Lori started getting a migraine. And uh, it was Sunday morning. She has to get there early. I end up bringing the kids later uh, and doing, dealing with all that while she's getting there to the campus to help set up because she's actually has campus responsibilities, which I didn't have. And so she's having to set up and those types of things. And so she was typically one of the first ones there. Um, but she's trying to get over having a migraine. And a few things that you have to do to help get over a migraine is try to stay out of the sun, try not to exert yourself too much. And she's thinking, I, it's too early. I do not want to call in sick when I've only been here two or three months. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but it was fairly early on. And so she pushes herself to do it. She has to deliver a bunch of stuff in her car to take into the lobby. And so she parks close to the church to pull in the things that were in her car. And when she starts dragging all the stuff into the lobby, Tim tells her, hey, we're not allowed to actually park up here. And she said, I, she says, I know, I know. This is not a normal situation. I'm really trying to get over a migraine. This is not normal. But if I exert myself too much, walk too much in the sun, it's going to go into a full-blown migraine. And I'm trying to make sure it doesn't do that. Well, evidently, um, Andy had a conversation with Tim where, where Tim you know, told him about that. I have no idea the context of that conversation. But Andy tells us, you know, that story as if it's an example of Lori being a diva. What's crazy is he didn't tell us any of this until that moment. That moment. Like it may have been a year, a year later as if it was some big deal. And I, I was like, Andy, like, dude. And I, I explained him because he did. I don't know if he knew she had a migraine and what was going on. I said, dude, like she had a migraine. This is what you have to do. And he goes, his response was, uh, well, she'll never do that again. And here's where it's like, I'm like sitting, that was one of the biggest eye openers. Like, oh my gosh, he's not really listening. There's no understanding of what I'm talking about here. And in fact, he had never, he hadn't confronted her until a year later and she still hadn't done it in a year. So what was the big deal? And so at that moment, I'm like, wow, this isn't normal. Like even in my interaction with them, I'm suddenly start to have these questions like, okay, this isn't, this is weird. This is not going how I thought it would, where they would, they were going to listen well make sure I was understood, all those types of things, and be open to any sort of feedback from me. Um, another, another one that they, you know, and again, 
again, I, I'm I'm forgetting a lot of I'm forgetting a lot of the different uh, things that I was bringing up in that meeting from my notes. But another one I remember was um, they started talking about you know this is all about development, and then they went off. They would go off on these long stories of like you know hey there was a time where. Andy was really frustrated with operations, with Cheryl and others. And, you know, I mean, Felipe worked with them for a full year and now everything works smoothly. And that's just what, you know, is going on here. And um, and I can remember Andy talking about all kinds of times where he was would tell these stories, chuckling about things that Cheryl would do, that he was giving me examples of, uh, of that, which I was like, it's always seemed inappropriate the way he would talk about other people. Um, so again, I'm... I can't remember the other points I started trying to make up, but I just, they would continually cut me off. Um, they would redirect. Um, they would, it was just pure, not, not listening. And so I, I figured out fairly early on in the meeting that this is not going to, this isn't going well. They're not going to listen. Um, they're not even trying to listen. And so I worked about halfway through the list of the things I was going over and I could remember, Oh, the other one was I was confused about the whole, like where they're saying, Lori's frustrated about women. I was like, what is she, when is she talking about women issues? Like, I know she's had individual conversations where she's thinking about how do we raise up women leaders in the church and talking about how are we going to do that? How are we going to develop women leaders and that's kind of stuff. Like, shouldn't we all be having those conversations? And they both were like, well, we gave her specific examples, which I later asked Lori. She's like, I never got specific examples of where they were saying I was frustrated about women. But again, they're saying they gave her specific examples and she'd never told me. So again, I'm thinking, oh gosh, is there stuff she's not telling me? So again, it's this whole gaslighting where they're trying to pit Lori and myself against each other, where I'm starting to question Lori as well, which is like the worst. Um, <laughs> at one point, Andy, I'm like, okay, I think, you know, I guess we're done. Um, and Andy says, you know, no, no, no. I want to make sure that we have closure. Let's make sure we finish everything else on your list. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what is the point of finishing? I mean, basically, you've listened to nothing. I didn't say any of this, but I'm thinking it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're not listening to anything I'm saying. You're cutting me off. You're redirecting. What is the point of finishing this list? But I'm like, no, I, I just kind of closed the list. I, think, I said, it's okay. I think we're done. But in my mind, I'm like fearful because I'm like, he doesn't think there's closure. He thinks there's still a problem, which obviously there is because uh, I'm still struggling. But I left that meeting um, like, goodness, I've been... <laughs> The types of situations I've been in uh, and leaders I've worked with over 20 years of ministry overseas and with incredible leaders, majorly challenging situations. And I've never had two people make me feel the way these two guys made me feel. I left that meeting feeling, it's embarrassing to even say out loud, but I felt so small, like something was wrong with me. Like, man, what is wrong with me that I that maybe I'm missing something here that is so unclear of what's happening. Like there's not, I've never been in a situation where two people have, have are so bad at listening, but instead just keep telling you their truth instead of really trying to make sure that you felt understood. Um, but I also left very afraid. So the next part of this, I come home and tell Lori. Um, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm filled with fear at this point. I'm embarrassed to say. I'm thinking, wow, we haven't even, like, what if, I'm fearful that we're going to get back in January and they're going to fire us, is what I'm really afraid of. Um, I start to think, man, I, and Andy was saying he wanted closure. 
So I'm like, man, what can I do to help make sure that like, look, I'm teachable, I'm learning, I'm working on stuff. Um, and so I decide now, remember Lori hasn't heard, Lori hasn't texted Lucille yet. So we don't have any of that information yet. Um, oh, there was one other story I wanted to say really quickly. That was a part of, um, that Lori told part of it, but this was also something I confronted them about. And that was the whole Lori wanted to steal Andy's pulpit was one of the things that he said. The context of that is months before, um, Lori had helped at a wedding and helped officiate one of the weddings for some of the, uh, one of the young professional couples. And she hung out with a number of the young professionals at that wedding. And one of them asked her or, or made the comment had said, Hey, look, if you ever get the chance to give feedback to leadership, like we would love to hear other, uh, other campus pastors preach as well and just hear them being able to speak also. So Lori was like, okay, I don't know when I'll be able to give that feedback. So maybe I'll, you know, I'll look for that opportunity. So a couple of months later, um, and this is in the season where we're trying to make sure, if you remember from the last episode, we're like, every interaction with Andy needs to be not a challenge whatsoever. It needs to be just pleasant, just encouraging to try to heal back the relationship. So it's in the context of that frame of mind that we're in. Uh, It was in one of the meetings in the lobby. We had just met as a group. And then Lori and I are talking with Andy and he starts sharing how he's losing sleep. He's trying to constantly think about how to create more content online. And, um, and so it just sounds like this big thing that he's trying to struggle with. Well, in Lori's mind, and I'm, it was, it was just me, Lori and Andy at that time. And Lori's thinking, Oh, this is a great time to give that feedback. So she says, Oh, I was like heard from some young professionals. They wanted me to share that they would love to hear from other campus pastors as well. In her mind, she's thinking, Oh, this will be an opportunity uh, for this feedback, or not feedback, but even this, this time to share this right here. And it would take some of the pressure off of Andy that he was feeling, where he's losing sleep and creating the content. Like, hey, share the load. Others can help out. And that's what she's thinking that this was never going to be some like weird emotional challenge. But when that happened, he immediately clapped really loud, which was kind of awkward. And it was like clear he was done. And it was like, okay. And we're like, oh, he must be like, we've, you know, we've been talking too much. He wants to leave. He wants to move on to the next thing. And so he left. And I remember thinking that was weird, but I just thought, you know, it's just Andy. He's just want, he's ready to leave and get on to something else. Um, but when he made that, told Lori in that meeting months later, he's like, when you told me that, you just wanted, you just wanted to steal my pulpit, didn't you? She's like, wait, what? No. He's like, you don't like my preaching, do you? And she was like, no, I've, I've never said that. I've never thought that. And so even when I confronted him in the meeting, I said, I was telling her, I was like, guys, this is the context of when that was happening. Like she wasn't trying to criticize you. She was trying to help share the load, which Felipe then says, well, yeah, but she had a tone. I'm like, wait, what? And one, Felipe wasn't even there. So again, that was another one that I, I totally forgot. And I wanted to make sure I shared that one. Cause again, it was this, like, again, I was like, I felt like it was so clear that they were going to go, oh, like a normal, I felt like a normal person would have been like, oh, we misunderstood. I'm really sorry about that. I misunderstood. I overreacted. But no, they just doubled down on it. And I was just, I was so, so confused. Anyway, so sorry, I wanted to jump back to that really quickly because I felt like that was an important point. So then we're back. I'm thinking they're going to fire us. What can I do to make sure that they show that I'm teachable? We have closure. And so I ended up writing an email to Andy and Felipe saying, 
uh, I can't even remember the different details that were in the email, but it was basically like, hey, you know, obviously this is something that we disagree with. We're going to, you know, continue to work on that. And on some things, we're just going to agree to disagree. And that's okay because you're the leadership. will follow you. I think there's nothing about what that I did put in by our winning. Like, hey, let's just keep the conversation open about how we can develop women leaders. And we can figure that out later and talk through that. I'd love to be, if you feel like Lori isn't the one to do that, I'm happy to take on some of that. Um, and then at the end, because I had felt so small and, and like the way I felt when I was leaving that meeting, I was like, Hey, and look, I I've never left a meeting and I'm so like embarrassed that I said, even ah, said this to them, but I was like, I was so felt so odd leaving that meeting that I'm thinking about maybe next, you know, in, in January going to some counseling. And I gave them some very specific, very personal stuff that I was like, maybe get some counseling around this. And I'm wondering if it's related to this particular thing, um, which later they used that email and shared that very personal thing and the whole email with other people to prove that uh, the meeting and all that was that I was, um, yeah, I don't know, which was very inappropriate. There's very personal things they've told me that I've never shared with anybody. Just just some insight is if you're a good friend with someone, you share something really personal and later you're not friends, integrity is not sharing very personal things, even when you've lost the friendship. And so that was very hurt. That was very hurting. Well, what's crazy is after that email, I'm like, okay, maybe that helps. They, they reply back really quickly. And it was something like, no problem, man. Our hearts are clean or something really struggling. I'm pretty sure it was our hearts are clean. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Like, and it was nothing like, hey, we didn't handle it well, or there was any kind of comeback. It was like, no. And um, I was like, okay, I guess we're all good. That's a weird response. Um, well, then like the next day is when we're sitting in the living room and Lori's texting Lucille to apologize. And immediately she's getting a phone call. And that's where we first find out two major things. One, it was a total lie that Lucille um, felt pressured um, from Lori and that Lori made her feel uncomfortable. Um, And also we didn't, it was the first time we realized this whole rapid fire question thing was a common thing they evidently did because of what Lucille said. And then my immediate thought was, I shouldn't have sent that email. That was my first thought. I should not have sent that email. Um, But of course, at that point, it was too late. I don't know where we want to go from here. (laughs) There's a lot more to the story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to do another episode, which will kind of indicate the way things got just super wild and crazy from this point on. And I know that's hard to even hear because so much of it has already been so hard up to this point. And this particular episode, we're talking about these very abusive meetings, which began to really show us as we processed over the you know days following and sought some therapy and started to begin to name um, that these were abusive meetings for me and as well for ne- for Jason. Um, but yeah, I think that one thing I wanted to make sure we included in this episode was there was one thing that Andy said to Jason that really became clear that we were dealing with I'd already seen signs that Andy was more of a transactional leader, but there's a particular story that kind of solidified that for us. Um, I remember thinking early on in the first few months that his leadership style was super different than anybody I'd ever worked with before. But, um, and that's kind of a unique thing to say because I've worked with more leaders than I could possibly count 
in many languages and many countries, incredible leaders. Um, But his style was very, very different. And I remember kind of reading a Harvard Business Review article where they talked about transactional leadership and more like transformational leadership. And I remember thinking, yeah, I, I think that my style is just not transactional. And I'm really honestly not used to that being a ministry style for anyone. But I would often hear him say about other pastors in ways that feel very similar to how Mark Driscoll would talk about other pastors, you know, that he was a better leader because his church was bigger. What could he possibly learn from somebody so-and-so whose church is smaller? Also, the reason so-and-so's church is smaller is because they're, you know, they don't know how to lead in the way that I do, where you just, you can't just spend time with everybody. You you have to guard your time. And he was very calculated with his time in a way that like, a CEO of like a fortune 500 company would be not a pastor of a church. Um, but he was very into that. And so even things like he would calculate when he got a ticket for speeding, would it be better to pay the ticket or would it be better to go to court? And so, um, I'll let Jason pick up on part of the story from here. Oh yeah. I was just going to add one of the things he would say was, Oh yeah, they're just, they're just too much of a collaborative leader. And I thought, aren't collaborative leaders like in that, like one of the things they say is a really good thing, like to be a collaborative leader. Um, but we never experienced him ever being collaborative. Um, what was the next part you want me to say about that getting the ticket? Oh, so yes. So at one point, you know, uh, we're talking about, man, there's no chance. There's not much opportunity for us to really process and talk through things like why we're doing some things like it's just go do without understanding the why sometimes and being able to talk through that if we're like having cognitive dissonance about hey why are we doing it this way and there's no real chance to talk through that so we'd been on staff about a year and a half when he said this one comment he said jason laurie i've spent more time with you guys than anybody else on staff i've spent probably eight hours with both of you and i thought One, it was so weird to say I spent more time with you than anybody else on staff. I thought, how is that possible? Um, But two, that he had calculated he'd spent about eight hours with us in a year and a half and were two of his higher level leadership people, which was like, in my mind, like maybe just a little bit of a red flag. I don't know. But at the time, it just felt like a gaslighting thing where like something is wrong with us because he had to spend so much time with us. Yeah, so... We'll pick up next time with some of the things that kind of unfold from here where it starts to just feel sometimes like we're dealing with the mafia and it just, we'd never dealt with some of the things we dealt with in the aftermath of all of this, but just, um, thank you for listening to this particular episode and this part of our story. We've tried our best to just tell it like it is and not do any image management related to it. Cause I know many of you, um, either are in echo currently or have left echo and, or have been in other churches where you're. Um, maybe in churches of friends of Pastor Andy, because we've been reached out to by some of you and your your stories of abuse um, and, and just that type of leadership uh, mentoring that he was in where some of these things are taught to each other as if pastors have to guard themselves against um, everybody else, that everybody's after them. And so they're always on this defensive toward people. And so some of that style can make people even on their staffs feel like there's something wrong with them. And so I know that many of you have heard that. So we've tried our best to not make this very flashy, but it just to tell it like it is and to act like, you know, as if we're sitting down having coffee with you, because I think reconnecting with the relational side of it, being more collaborative as we learn through this process, being less transactional when that is so triggering for so many of you listening 
and to just let you know that this is <laughs> clearly not a mass produced podcast by anybody flashy. Um, but it's just our raw sharing of our story with you in ways that hopefully, like many of you who've reached out to us, it's helped you feel that you're not alone. You weren't the only one. And even though, you know, many of you can't speak out for all the reasons we mentioned, that's okay. We do this for you. We're speaking for you. You are right now are the target audience. We wanted you to not feel alone. It's why we're sharing our story because we didn't sign the NDA so that we could. So um, thank you once again for listening, for believing us, for empathizing with us. And um, yeah, please keep reaching out to us to interact with anything that this has stirred up in you. Um, We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. And thanks for praying for us in this process. So if you're uh, one of our Patreon supporters or you're interested in being one, you can check out the things that we're going to say exclusively for Patreon supporters around some of the ways that we walk through healing from these particular meetings uh, going forward and how we built kind of teams of people around us to kind of help us walk through the really deep, deep um, things we needed to walk through in order to, to heal. So um, we'll catch everybody next time. And once again, thank you for listening to this part three of our story of what happened to Echo Church. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Bye-bye. we're finishing this episode, if you're thinking, I really wish I could learn more or go a little bit deeper. Well, that's what our Difference Maker community is for. I would love to welcome you in to join the rest of us there. Once again, um, it's only $5 a month to join the price of a latte at your local coffee shop. You can join at our changers tier. Difference Makers is a community that really means so much to me. It's very special because each time I have a guest on the show, I record something um, outside of what we give to just the regular podcast audience where we go a little bit deeper and then I post those video episodes in this community and we can discuss them. But also at the very uh, beginning tier, which is our changers tier of this community, you'll get exclusive voting power and help pick podcast topics that give us you know, more of what we want from your perspective. You'll have access to exclusive um, 30 plus mini-sodes that aren't out there for the general public. And you'll get every month an exclusive monthly bonus mini-sode. At our Groundbreakers level, which is $10 a month, you can join and get all of that, but also priority access to submit questions to the podcast. And you'll get an additional two exclusive monthly bonus mini-sodes. And at our Trailblazers tier, which is $15 a month, the price of three lattes a month, um, you can get all of that plus also three exclusive monthly bonus minisodes um, and a patron shout out. So I would love for you to join us at any of those tiers. Um, It'll help you come into this community, be in the midst of all of us, other difference makers, and we'd love to hear your perspective. I certainly would. It's a place to engage more with me and the audience around what you like, what you're resonating with, and once again, go deeper with each of our guests. So please join us in this membership community. I would love to hear your perspective and love to share this extra content with you. So show up at patreon.com slash a world of difference. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.